Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Agency Unfiltered, the HubSpot Solutions Partner Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Dunn, and Agency Unfiltered is a weekly web series and podcast that interviews the owners, founders, and executives of agencies and services providers from around the world about whatever it takes to grow and scale. This week, we have on Christopher Barnett, founder of Workflow, who joins the podcast to talk about the sales strategy he's implemented to help scale his small team and climb to the diamond tier of HubSpot's partner program in only 14 months. We talk about his framework for solutions-based selling, how and why it's so effective, and how it interlocks into a broader revenue operation strategy. We also frame solutions-based selling around some of the sales scenarios other solutions partners oftentimes face, like competitive situations with the incumbent CRMs and moving up market. We also talk about HubSpot reselling and how solutions-based selling helps partners win multi-hub deals at the point of sale and strengthens the value propositions of common hub pairings. And lastly, we discuss Christopher's approach for software demos, how he balances customization and templatization of demo environments, and how he offers hands-on access to his prospects. Are you looking to reinvigorate your pipeline, accelerate your sales process, or win more HubSpot business? then you won't want to miss today's episode of Agency Unfiltered. Welcome to the Agency Unfiltered podcast. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. You know, I wish I had different ways, you know, to open this up, but I tend to start saying the same opening line every single time. I wish I, you know, I had a little pizzazz for you, um, but uh, thanks for bearing with me. And thanks for being on the podcast, man. So how are things um, going with you and the team? Good. It's been a very exciting times for all of us. It's been a very fun, rapid growth, but overall just uh, very, very exciting times for the team for sure. That's awesome, man. Is uh, is generative AI uh, dominating the the slacks and messages and general creativity of your team like it is mine? You know, I I think so. Chatspot is bookmarked on my Google Chrome thing, and I'm probably yeah, as it should be. Like, yeah. yeah, a couple couple times a day. So yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> now you know, uh, been having a lot of conversations about generative AI, about Chatspot. I've uh, been talking to a lot of folks too about integrations and technical consulting and CRM implementations. Like there's, you know, there's, there's so much to say and, and so many different perspectives to gather, but you know, I'm excited, Chris, to talk to you today because uh, you know, underneath all of that, you know, we don't want to turn attention away from just good old fashioned sales, yeah. you know, uh, having a really strong playbook, generating the appropriate amount of revenue, forecasting accurately. And so um, I'm excited to get back to some of those basics with you today. Yeah. Yeah, me too. This is one of my favorite topics and I've had this dog and pony show for a while. So I'm excited <laughs> to share it with the ecosystem. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to start with a, a term that you gave me. Uh, and then, so I'll tee it up and um, I'll pass the mic your way to help extrapolate, define, and uh, give us your take on it. So solutions-based selling, uh, how is that an effective sales strategy or one that you and the team uh, uh, leverage, uh, especially if you know, you're a smaller team in the ecosystem looking to scale? Yeah, so this was uh, born out of I guess the relationships that I've built with uh, newer partners, and so you know we've had good trajectory in the HubSpot partner ecosystem. So we tiered up very quickly, and we're a diamond partner right now, soon to be elite here in the next year, I think. And so one of the things that we get asked most commonly is, 
you know, how do you effectively sell HubSpot? And I was figuring out a way to phrase this and I just couldn't quite figure it out. And then one day I was thinking, I was like, man, we, the way we do it is we pose HubSpot as a solution. So let's call this solutions-based selling. And so I like to think of this as like a hybrid between solving for the customer and frictionless selling, which are both like HubSpot methodology that's uh, currently in the HubSpot Academy. And so it's figuring out how the HubSpot software or your product or service, whatever it is, can be positioned to best benefit the client as a whole, not just by solving certain pain points. And so that's kind of the way that I classified it like the highest level. And so going back to like the reason that this was born is just because we were figuring out that HubSpot was a bigger solution than just whatever the lead or whoever was we were pitching to uh, was interested in. So it was covering like more than just, I need marketing automation. It was, oh, cool. Like there's a sales hub, there's a service hub. It's like, yeah, let's show you the full solution to show you, you know, it can do X, Y, and Z and solve all these pain points and help you sunset your other software and help you have a more crafted tech stack for your business. And so um, at a high level, that's how I would define solutions-based selling. Yeah. No, I love that. And uh, to borrow, I think the intersection that you just teed up, it's somewhere in between or at the conversion uh, point of solving for the customer and frictionless selling. And always will appreciate the hat tip for some academy education. So thanks for that tee up. Uh, But love it, right? Framing it as a much larger solution versus a much smaller pain point that maybe was like the initial, what was initially surfaced. Um, So with solutions-based selling as a approach, a methodology, a strategy, however you want to define it, how does that manifest throughout the sales cycle uh, for a prospect or an existing client with uh, you and the team? Yeah, good question. So um, th- this is really boiled boils down to like from a HubSpot partnership standpoint, right? When you're selling the HubSpot software to whether it be new business or existing business, whoever it is, um, you know, there's a common theme out there where like no one really likes sales reps nowadays. They find them to be like trusted and stuff like that. And so one of the stats that I pulled from uh, the frictionless selling uh, article in the HubSpot Academy was 60% of buyers distrust the integrity of salespeople. And so the common theme across the entire like sales, you know, marketplace, I guess, if you will, is people just don't trust salespeople as much as they, as much as they should. And so positioning yourself as the implementer of the software and saying, Hey, this is what's possible. And here's the solution is a lot more valuable for that, uh, person that you're pitching to compared to hearing it from the sales rep. And so as far as how it comes across like the entire sales uh, like spectrum, it's positioning the solution for, you know, specifically what their pain points are and beyond. So it's, you know, figuring out in that initial discovery process, you know, what are they currently using as far as like their entire software stack goes? Because that's one of the things that we collect in our initial qualification criteria is, you know, I want to know your pain points, but I also want to know what other software are you currently using because HubSpot's likely a better fit for you to connect these systems together. And so it's one where the due diligence to figure out, you know, how can you best pose HubSpot as a solution for this customer is that that's the starting point. And that should be the theme across the entire selling process. I love that. Uh, Two things. First off, uh, talk about an uphill battle of 60% of buyers automatically assume you you don't have integrity. That's tough. That's tough. Exactly. And you're like, how do I combat that? Well, maybe I'm more of the, you know, I'm the actual implementer. You're reframing what the, the role and function of a sales rep is, right? A little more consultative. I love that. And then to your point too, the other one, very Buzz Lightyear review, pain points and beyond, right? And so you're starting to expand the actual value add that the software could provide. Exactly. Um, you know, let me ask you this for that second point, pain points and beyond. As you start to position the broader value add of the platform, right? Implications for marketing, for sales, for service, et cetera, uh, 
in my mind, that starts to st- like lean towards that RevOps frame of reference. Uh, yeah. Does solutions-based selling uh, intersect with RevOps? Are they overlap two sides of the same coin? Like, what's your what's your take on that? Yeah, good good question. So I, I have a firm belief that solutions-based selling can only really be successful if the business has adopted RevOps methodology at any level, right? Because ultimately, if you are, you know, contingent upon the success of the platforms, the processes and the people inside of the business, solutions-based selling will work, right? As long as those things are optimized correctly. So, you know, broken tech stacks, uh, you know, unverified processes, wrong team members in charge, like your sales process will reflect those things. Like it will be a tough sales experience for both users. That's why like I, whenever I talk about sales enablement, sales enablement is two-sided. Right, enabling the internal sales rep, right, and then having a positive experience for the end user as well. So it's one where, if your RevOps processes related to your people, your platforms, your your actual processes are not configured and designed correctly, you will experience that pain in the sales process or in the handoff process. Somewhere it w- it will definitely drop. So I, I don't think it's necessarily overlap. I think it's one where RevOps is the engine towards making solutions based selling successful. Uh, love the frame of reference there, Chris. Now, um, I guess another question I may have about solutions based on whether, you know, uh, how prevalent it may be, I'll, I'll defer to solutions partners, but I've been led to believe that selling CRM software, right, uh, uh, trying to, to, to convince a prospect to move off of a legacy system, one of those other incumbent CRMs, you know, we don't, no free advertising, I'm not, I'm not going to name any, but the incumbents are others out there. Uh, or even if HubSpot's in a competitive situation, they're going to make the call. Uh, where and how does that solutions-based selling approach give the partner uh, more of an advantage or, or you know, improve their land rate uh, for those types of CRM competitive situations? You know what I mean? Especially those, it's a concern of many, I'm sure. Yeah, great, great question. And so this is where um, I won't give the free advertising or anything like that, but this is where... Um, you know, no one ever left a CRM because it worked, it did everything the right way, but it was too expensive. Like no one leaves a CRM platform for that because they, they, they leave, like people come and go from HubSpot because of functionality alone. Price is kind of like a decision maker, if, if you will, but ultimately people come and go from CRMs because of functionality and, and nothing more. And so it's one where if you can prove that the functionality inside of HubSpot is a solution beyond the pain points, going back to what we talked about, you know, pain points and beyond, that is the value add because ultimately like you can have price battles for days, but the decision maker is going to be which one solves my pain points in a scalable way. So as of now, can it solve my pain points? And then three years, five years prepping for that scalability and designing for the end state, can this system support that journey to get there? That's, that's, that's my perspective. And I guess I'll give you an example of how we do that internally as well. So what we do when we sell like HubSpot software is basically, you know, we, you, you should always be opening a demo account for the lead that you're talking to. And so it's one where think about when you buy a car, right? You're always going to test drive it before you actually buy it, right? Just natural part of the process. Buying a CRM is the car for your, your business, right? It's going to get you to where you want to go. And so it's a matter of if they're not seeing the software or not seeing how it's like tailored to their specific use case before they purchase, 
you're not providing the value. You're not providing the solution before they buy it. And so mitigating that gray area of, well, is this actually going to work? And configuring a demo account and saying, hey, like we're going to do a full HubSpot demo for you. We've configured like these functionalities based upon your pain points that you specified. And here's some more advanced stuff as well, as far as what it does. It's going to be a lot more of a value add because it's coming from the implementer, meaning that they're showing you the solution in real time of how it will actually look if you buy. So I love that. I love that. And so it's great metaphor too, right? Yeah, you got to test drive the car. You want to see what it's going to feel like to actually drive it. And so as part of your sales process, you're going to take in what you've learned in discovery or what you've qualified their pain points. You're going to configure a demo account to account for that and then uh, walk them through that experience. I guess my question, based on that information, uh, I can imagine that's not something always super easy to spin up. How laborious is that? How, how depth, how, how deep do you get in the configuration to at least show the value, but again, make it a scalable, you know, process and something worth, you know, the time of your team. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Good question. So it, it, this becomes easier if you have a certain niche, because typically if you're catering to like B2B SaaS, for example, the sales processes aren't that different overall between all B2B SaaS. Like at its core level, it's like free trial and then convert into a paid plan, right? And then you calculate your MRR, your TCV, all that stuff. And so if you have a niche, this becomes a lot easier because you're able to spin up demo accounts. You know what it, what needs to be defined as far as your deal stages, your pipelines. Um, the only thing where this could possibly become like a little more laborious as far as you know configuration goes is you know, how deep do you want to go? How granular do you want to be? Like, do you want to upload a sample data set? Do you want to show how like an email template could look in HubSpot? And so it's one where this is what I classify as like business development time, where it's the hours that go into configuring the account in order to help close the deal later on. And those hours will pay off for sure. I mean, because you don't see these types of demos coming from other incumbent CRM companies too often. So if you can nail the use case and nail the solution and and have it be very tailored towards the customer, that's a win all day. And I can imagine too, the degree of depth, if you will, also depends on how whale of an account is this, you know what I mean? Like how big of a deal is it, you know, um, but also just a really great uh, uh, argument in the pro column for, uh, you know, finding a niche and anchoring yourself to a niche. And first off, uh, I always like working in niche into these episodes because I, I like to categorize where people fall either niche or niche and now i know chris you're a niche guy I'm a, which is helpful yeah, i'm a niche guy tomato tomato yeah, yeah. Uh, and also love the continuation of incumbents that's great yeah. um but yeah so again i think it, it it sounds like uh by having a niche that certainly streamlines and, and simplifies this process uh, but i'm sure there's a couple other variables too like man how big of a deal would this be for us to land etc exactly. um so actually, let me ask you this, um, pulling away from the demo for a moment, or not the demo, yeah, like the configured demo account, um, going back to solutions-based selling uh, uh, and tying it back to HubSpot as a broader software. So obviously you're talking about pain points and beyond. You're talking about not just the acute problem you're hoping to solve, but what it can do across multiple domains, maybe multiple hubs. Uh, is it a safe assumption to make that as part of this sales process, you're often coming to the table uh, with multiple hubs as part of your recommended HubSpot purchase? Uh, and, and, and what does that process look like? Uh, where and how do you craft and cater the value proposition of HubSpot accordingly? Uh, yeah. Any tips and tricks you may have for multi-hub selling? I uh, would love to hear. I'm sure the listeners would too. Yeah, absolutely. So multi-hub selling is you know kind of what we've made a huge pivot in the last year to cater more towards the multi-hub stacks. 
just because like proving that HubSpot is a growth enablement tool, that's kind of how we classify it, is very, very easy to do with the complete full suite, right? So showing, because if you think about like marketing, Marketing Pro is one of the most popular, if not the most popular package or some sort of marketing module, whether it be Starter or Enterprise with HubSpot. And so thinking about like marketing nowadays, marketing is just, is way more than top of funnel. Because nowadays you're thinking about remarketing, right? Nurturing mid-sales funnel, stuff like that. And so being able to set the expectations with the client saying, you know, if you're interested in a marketing bundle, you should really think about the entire customer journey. So logging your opportunities as deals in HubSpot and having like a service ticket pipeline for any like discrepancies that come up along the way and having your customer success team use Service Pro. And so it's one where... If you're thinking about scalability and you're thinking about what is what are those pain points that the user is specifying that they're interested in HubSpot for, you know, going beyond and, and thinking about that end state. And so it's one where like there's a common thing that I say to my team on a daily basis, and it's you know, think about if this was a billion dollar company, right? And design for the end state. And so it's one where that's kind of my perspective on it is scalability, designing for the end state and the multi-hub platforms allow you to design for that. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, yeah, you mentioned it um, a few minutes earlier. I jotted it down as a note, and I meant to bring it up, so I'm glad you brought it up again. But designing for the end state uh, is a really interesting angle to take. Um, are there? I was. I'm going to try not to ask this question with some examples because I, I don't want to pull you in one way or the or the other. Now it sounds like you met. You know, you sell HubSpot right as the full suite, that full solution. Are there mm -hmm. any? pairings of hubs, right? We have a handful of hubs. There's a couple different ways to pair them together. Do any in your mind stand out as being uh, really effective if you craft the right story through the sales process or, or really, you know, uh, really captivating for prospects when you, when you seek to sell them together? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So marketing and sales is like, I mean, those are the, the, the two best ones in my opinion. I mean, if you're looking to show things like uh, you know, first touch attribution, last touch attribution, or just the customer journey as a whole, like that's marketing and sales goes so well together. I would also capitalize that and say ops hub, ops hub is probably my favorite, um, like stack right now. I mean, it's just the power of ops hub is people, I think I've only been scratching the surface with it. Honestly, ops hub is just one where if you're looking to autonomously clean your data, deduplicate your CRM, build these customer relationships, stuff like that. Someone's at the front door. That's my Alexa. Yeah, sorry. May do you mind hitting that op sub note one more time? Yeah, for sure. Um, op sub is one of my favorite uh, stacks for sure. It's it's one where the power that we've seen so far, I think we're only scratching the surface with. And so it's one where if you're looking to format your data, have these advanced integrations, automatically associate objects together. I mean, tons of possibilities. And so marketing and sales and operations are the three big ones that I think that any business could use and be successful with. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, marketing hub and sales hub at this point might as well be peanut butter and jelly, maybe for a reason, right? Uh, but love the call out for OpsHub. Uh, if you'll indulge me, uh, what would be a use case for OpsHub uh, that you would qualify as going beyond just scratching the surface? Anything you've done or seen from an existing client or otherwise, uh, any really cool use case for OpsHub that that listeners should be thinking more about as well? Yeah, and I'll give a I'll give a shout out to Max Cohen on this one, actually. We collaborated on this a while ago. Um, nice. Automatically creating Google Maps links in the CRM. So if you have a business that has uh, like any sort of deliveries or service areas, you can auto-generate the uh, Google Maps URLs 
inside of HubSpot of Ops Hub by just concatenating the data together, figuring out whatever that previous, it's like maps.google.com slash whatever, you can automatically create these URLs so that if you want to navigate to a certain area, you can go boom, open Google Maps, and it's good to go from there. So just one possibility where it's a, it's a formatting data action, but it's, it's a lot bigger than that as well, because now what we've done is we've automatically built roots inside of uh, the HubSpot CRM with another integration that can show a rep where is your route for the day for six different locations run this circle basically and make your all your deliveries from there so super cool love that use case it's one that we uh, were very excited about always love just floating that question on just to see like man what what are the what are the outer limits of this tool right and so super cool that's awesome i love that um no, Chris, I mean, if I'm if I'm a solutions partner, right, I'm like, okay, yeah, I get it. If you can position the full suite in the platform in the appropriate way, come to the table with multiple hubs or the full platform at the point of sale, uh, obviously that's going to lead to more, you know, uh, uh, MRR, you know, partner source, like my sold MRR metrics. Um, and so when I think about solutions-based selling as a way to do that and a way to unlock that, in addition to the talk track, the, the value proposition, the framing, right? Like the actual speaking as to how and why, how else does solutions-based selling manifest in the sales process operationally, right? Does anything about the way you've organized your pipeline or the data that you're looking to capture in your CRM? So more like ops or tech-wise, how does mm-hmm. solutions-based selling uh, manifest? Yeah, th- so the th- great question. So this is one where Ensuring that your pipeline, whether it be a deal pipeline at HubSpot or a pipeline in another platform, is optimized to meet the real-time sales process is so important, especially if you're working with sales reps that need to collect data, like qualification data along the way, because you can do two things. If you're using HubSpot to do it, you can figure out trends at what are common pain points that you're seeing from those that are in your pipeline. In addition, I'm going back to Max Cohen, like we did a webinar a while ago on how do you deal with closed lost uh, like deals. And so it's one where figuring out if you're not tracking closed lost reason in your pipeline, that is arguably the most actionable data point that you can possibly have in, in your pipeline. Just because, again, going back to trend analysis, if you're starting to see things like mm, price was a uh, you know no-go for this or timing wasn't right, um, functionality, whatever it is, building those use cases and figuring out, okay, for the next deal that we get, how can we use that closed loss data that was uh, collected in the CRM to optimize our sales process from there. And so it's one where a sales process and your technique should always be evolving based upon the actionable data that you're collecting inside of your CRM. And so this is where RevOps covers like the processes side and the technology side. It's that this where like the lovely blend comes together to really improve the, the business as a whole. Uh, and it's interesting. I definitely uh, agree, right? Being able to track closed lost reason as a category, it sounds like one key benefit of that is to help inform the sales process for all future deals that navigate through your, your pipeline. Uh, now, do you also, uh, maybe there's a leading question, but is there a strategy for re-engaging closed loss deals as well based on those reasons? Yeah. I mean, so what I do personally, if it's a closed loss deal uh, that we were trying to sell like a, a growth suite pro or something like that, um, we pay really close attention to product updates that are coming from HubSpot. So this is where HubSpot is one of the best companies in the world about listening to their customers and catering, sorry, tailoring their product roadmap to meet the needs of what they're collecting from the community. So it's one where as we're starting to see public betas or product updates come into the platform that are relevant towards past deals. So for example, that closed lost reason of functionality, if there are all of a sudden new updates coming out to solve for that functionality, 
that's a reason to go re-engage that person saying, Hey, like, I know that HubSpot wasn't the best fit at that time, but here's what's changed since we last spoke. And so we've done that and reconverted users I mean, dozens of times over just because HubSpot's getting better constantly. And that's kind of the, the, the main theme of, of, of HubSpot from what we've seen is grow better together. And that's what we want to do with our customers. Yeah, I love that. You know, I've never really connected the dots. And so maybe I'm out of the loop, uh, but maybe other partners are like, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Or they do it in some fashion as well. But actually taking product updates, things that may have been non-starters for pr- prospects in the past, things have changed. And so now that's an entry point to reopen the conversation. I love that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's one where I'm a huge fan of, uh, of Loom. And so like I do Loom videos and tips of the day on LinkedIn and stuff like that. And it's one where a simple Loom video showing the power of like a, a new functionality in HubSpot goes a really long way. It's, it's personalized towards that user. They feel like they've been, you know, you've spent time to show them this specifically, even though you didn't have to. And so, yeah, it's, it's a huge value. That's great. Um, now I want to pull us away from sales for a moment, Chris, uh, obviously, you know, at the point of sale, if we're, if we're positioning a uh, multi-hub, either a pairing or the full platform, right. Uh, uh, good news, obviously, if we're able to secure that deal, right. And they're looking to move on to HubSpot. Uh, but I can imagine with a larger breadth of tools that we're hoping to implement for them, uh, that's a lot more of know-how we're going to need across the team. So do you have any recommendations or strategies on how to build uh, multi-hub knowledge and skills from uh, an onboarding or implementation perspective, I guess, based on the engagement? But let me know if that question makes sense. But what's the other side of that coin? Uh, how do you build a team ready to handle it? Yeah, good question. And so th- this is where the HubSpot Academy is such a valuable resource. And so specifically like the partner training and even just the, the regular HubSpot Academy uh, certification. So we have a set stack of certifications that we recommend our internal team takes in order to become like the best possible RevOps HubSpot implementation experts uh, that we can provide for our customers. And so it's one where if they're able to understand the use case from Hub- from the HubSpot Academy on how we onboard X, Y, and Z accounts, that's a great starting point for them to practice either in a demo account or shadow one of our, you know, more senior individuals who is an expert in, you know, the marketing sales and operations that we mentioned earlier. So it's one where the HubSpot Academy is a huge, huge resource for, for everyone in order to just gain that contextual knowledge and how, uh, you know, the methodology is broken down. So that's typically what we, we uh, lean towards. No, that's great. I mean, for, first of all, I can imagine just actually securing hands-on experience goes a long way, right? Yeah. Uh, especially if you're able to partner junior level with senior level. Uh, so I think that's a tremendous recommendation. And again, I'll never stop you from, from an Academy shameless plug. Um, <laughs> so appreciate that again. But uh, so Chris, also um, let me ask you this uh, kind of an inverse to a lot of the things we're saying here. Uh, and again, just so you know, right. Agency Unfiltered, this is a safe place. We can talk about missteps. Has anything uh, as you've attempted to roll out solutions based selling, kind of adopt this methodology, go to market, right? With the full suite, multi-hub, et cetera. Uh, have you put anything into practice that didn't work out so well or something that was initially part of the strategy that you had to roll back? Or maybe, you know, going multi-hub at the point of sale uh, was actually uh, not the right call for a prospect for whatever reason. So almost like failure form style. And again, you know, it's a safe place. We can unpack that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, good question. I mean, uh, going for a full growth suite for some businesses may not be the right move, um, especially if there are, have been expectations that have been set uh, that will, if someone's really concerned about like ROI, like I want to know what my return is on my uh, HubSpot software spend, right? Proving that is going to be a little trickier to do in like 60 or 90 days. Like 
we call HubSpot a growth enablement tool, but it's not going to just start making you money randomly. It's just not the way it's designed. And so it's one where, yeah, there have been some times where we, you know, have recommended growth suite and they're like, well, why am I paying all of this money if it's not going to be ready in 90 days? And so this is one where transparency in the sales process will always be, uh, you know, a win. And so this is one where setting realistic expectations on if you are able to calculate ROI in, you know, four months, five months, whatever time frame it is, setting that expectation and, and, and letting them know, hey, like, you're not going to see a positive ROI on this until this point in time, because we have to, you know, take the steps in order to get there. So I, I would say it happens sporadically, but this is where like talking about optimizing your pipeline, like you learn from those lessons and, you, and, it, and it helps you, you know? Yeah. So it's almost like uh, an important consideration here is like the immediacy uh, for return on investment, right? Uh, which is a really great, uh, really great note. Now I know uh, a number of partners for a long time have uh, subscribed to the methodology of like uh, seed and grow or land and expand, right? I don't know if your team does as well, but is in, in those instances, oh, there needs to be, you know, there's urgency for demonstrating ROI. Well, oh, let's start with maybe the starter SKUs and move up. Is that the approach you would take there uh, if it's in, you know, the the mix at all for, for your team? Yeah, we um, we typically stay away from land and expand. Um, reason being is because if you're looking at this from a RevOps approach, if you're doing land and expand, you're doing a couple different things. One, you're making it harder to operationalize some of the onboarding because if you're proving the use case for just Sales Hub and then they want marketing automation, that's another you know scope of work for the onboarding side. And it's another thing that you have to add as far as like processes go. And so when you're doing things like you're changing the processes, you're changing the platforms that are being used in the business, it makes it a little bit tougher to scale because the roadmap changes. And so we try to stay away from land and expand deals for that reason, because if we want to manage it effectively, we want to ensure that the end state is being factored in. And if your end state begins with Sales Hub, and then it's unclear on what you're looking to be when you're a billion dollar company, we can't really configure your tech stack to uh, support that uh, journey. So we typically try to stay within the realm of the multi-hub deals because it's a lot easier to prove the use case. And typically it's just a better experience for the client. Yeah, it's a really great note. And it just, it anchors back to this idea of like, hey, you know, the ultimate goal here is to keep the uh, the end state, the, des the desirable end state in mind, right? And so anchoring to that point, uh, is counterintuitive to, you know, some sort of land and expand uh, strategy. Makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now, Chris, as, as we push up on time, I want to squeeze in another question or two. Um, if I'm a partner tuning in today, uh, I starting tomorrow, right? I'm, I mean, I'm listening to this starting tomorrow. I'm going to start, I got to sell bigger deals. I want larger software proposals. I want to sell multi-hub. Uh, what is something that I can begin actioning today? Or like, where, where does this journey begin uh, what what are some quick wins uh, to just you know improve my ability to position or uh, successfully close or find the right prospects for this? Uh, any any actionable you know steps to get started? Yeah, yeah. So number one, as I would say, rev ops yourself. You know, look at your pipeline. See, like, are you are are you currently optimized from your processes, your platforms, your people that are working in like that client facing or business development role. Like first look at yourself through a RevOps lens and what would you optimize if you weren't in the business? And so that's where I would start is once you nail the uh, you know processes in the pipeline, you have your playbooks configured, you have your, you know, updating of your stage properties along the way, like that is a that's a great starting point from there. Um, what I would do in addition to that is if you haven't already uh, been tailoring your demo account or opening net new demo accounts for new leads, start doing that with your cam. It's a huge value add, especially because 
opening a demo account and configuring it to meet those initial pain points and more kind of does two things for you. It helps you prove the use case. Number two is the trial can stay open for, you know, seven days, 14 days, whatever it is. And you can see if the users are actually within that HubSpot demo account using it. So it's a temperature gauge. It allows you to see, are they actually working in the platform? If they're not, let's see if we need another lighter version of the demo, or maybe I need to check in on them. And if they are using it, it's a good success metric to show, hey, like they're actually using the platform. We can see if they're, oh, if they're tampering with, you know, some other functionalities that are not related to what we're talking about. And, you know, just change the journey from there. And so those are the two things that I recommend if I was a partner listening. Yeah. Yeah. The RevOps yourself, optimize your own processes. Love that. Great place to start. Now we talked about the demos, the software demos, the configuration and customization, um, but we didn't touch on actually giving the keys to pull that metaphor through, giving the keys uh, to the prospect and actually getting them in the environment themselves. And to your point, it's open for seven days, whatever it is. So actually, letting them drive through the system. And then there's data and visibility to use as a temperature gauge, I think is what you mentioned. And, and so, yeah, such a powerful way uh, to see if the message is landing. Exactly. Yeah, because there's, I, I've been part of too many demos where uh, trying to demonstrate like the reporting tool or stuff like that. It's like, well, this is how the report would look like if there was data in here. And it's just, it's really hard to prove the use case of how like HubSpot's uh, reporting tools. I, I love the reporting tool, specifically the customer journey analytics is like, amazing feature. Um, and so if you have data that you can load, like take the extra time to do it to show what's possible and it'll make all the difference. Yeah. That's a great recommendation. Love that. Um, also agree. Customer journey analytics are phenomenal. Um, so Chris, last question, uh, we wrap every episode with the same question. And so of course I'm going to float it your way. Uh, what's the strangest part of agency life? Strangest part of agency life. Ooh, good question. Um, now I get a lot of pushback on agency, not every, you know, agency, I don't want to use that as a catch-all. So swap that out for whatever label you would prefer, managed services provider, it's technical consultant, et cetera. But yeah, strangest part of the life. Yeah. I actually think that you, you kind of nailed it with what you said, like agency or whatever synonym uh, makes sense for your business. Because I think there's a, there's a common known theme in the ecosystem where people either love agencies or they hate agencies. And that's probably the strangest thing that you deal with is, like uh, you'll see postings on like freelance platforms or like agencies do not apply. And so there's this kind of like, you know, we talked about the 60% of people don't trust sales reps. I'd love to see that metric for how many people don't trust agencies. <laughs> that would be uh, really interesting. But yeah, strangest part, yeah, probably just be the, uh, you know, do you love us? Do you hate us sort of thing? Like that temperature gauge is always interesting. <laughs> yeah, both fronts, super interesting, super strange. Yeah, in some pockets, agencies, uh, it's a d dirty word, you know? Um, uh, but yeah, love that. That's uh, yeah, great insights, Chris. I appreciate it. Um, and so I think that's all I have for you as we, as we wrap on time. Super insightful. Uh, love the solutions-based selling approach. Uh, loved kind of the, the comparison and the overlay to, to revenue operations. Obviously, we talked about incumbents a little bit. Uh, the point of emphasis on multi-hub selling and positioning, uh, software demos, all tremendous stuff. So I appreciate you walking us through uh, what seems to be working well for your team. Uh, thanks again for coming on the pod. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was awesome. Of course. And for folks that have tuned in today, this has been another episode of Agency Unfiltered.